This is Infidel 1. Offending Coyote Down. Offending Coyote Down. Roger that. Welcome to Trappin' Radio. We're proud, organic, free-range, wild fur farmers of North America. Let me tell you a little story about how I was raised. Every day work, every day pray. God, family, friends, yeah, everybody sins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. Help folks in need, don't fall for greed. A jealous man is weak, so think before you speak. If you love them, let them know. If you hate, let it go. Fast can be fun, but sometimes you need slow. God is all good, the devil is so real. So listen up, y'all, because this is how I feel. I won't back up, I don't back down I've been raised up to stand my ground Take my job, but not my guns Tax my check till I ain't got none Except for the good Lord of above I answer to no one Now let's cover our sponsors. They do a lot to help support Trapping Radio. So I'm asking you guys out there and gals, to help support our sponsors as they keep trapping radio on the air. First sponsors, Oki Cable and Trap Supply. Jeb's the owner of this. He's out of Oklahoma, super guy. You'll not meet anybody nicer. It's somebody you're gonna wanna deal with. You can reach him at OKTrapSupply.com. You can give Jeb a call at 918-429-4648. Not only does he do trap supply guys, he's a fur buyer, so if you're around the Oklahoma or surrounding states, give him a call with your fur. When you need stuff, give him a call and he'll get it out to you as soon as he can. Our second sponsor is F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. Guys, if you're into trapping fur, hunting fur, chasing fur with dogs, you're not gonna be able to think of hardly anything that you can't get from F&T. You can reach them at fntpost.com. You can also give them a call at 989-727-8727. Whatever you want, FNT's got. Wildlife Control Supplies. Proven solutions for wildlife control. Delivering value, expertise, and products to the wildlife individual. If you're in the ADC business, control business, even fur trapping, you need to look at these guys' website. Top-notch company have everything you would want, even the odd stuff that ADC guys are looking for. You can reach them at wildlifecontrolsupplies.com. You can give them a call at 877-684-7262. International number is 860-844-0101. If you're a wildlife control professional, you need to have wildlife control supplies as one of your favorites on your computer or your phone, because when you come across something that you need specialized equipment, Alan will get it right out to you. Now let's go traffic. See, I'm a flag-flying, bobble-toting son of a gun. Yeah, I'm hell on the heart, just a rebel on the run. Scared, don't know it, fear, don't feel it. The truth is the light, sometimes you gotta fight. Good beats bad, right beats wrong. I'm a ballroom preacher and this is my song. I'm climbing for the top, representing for the country. I'm the people's champ, right out to dead camp. Shotgun toter, Republican voter. Hank Jr. supporter, let's protect our border. 
to hell with anyone who don't believe in the USA. Cause this is what I say. I won't back up. I don't back down. I've been raised up to stand my ground. Take my job, but not my Welcome to Trapping Across America. This is your host, Clint Locklear. We're going to be getting into some trapping stuff today. A little bit of Bigfoot. Have you kissed your sister lately? And different topics like that. So yes, it's going to be about trapping and some other things. But uh, I want to remind everybody, the video package that I've, that I've got out where you download. And you don't download, excuse me. You go to howtotrapit.com. You sign up right then. And then you um, get to watch all my videos for less than $10 a piece. The coupon code that's in the show notes right now, I'm pretty sure at the end of this month is going away. I think that's when I put the date in there. So if you want to take advantage of even a better deal than that deal is already, you need to jump on that or it's going to cost you. And if you miss it, that's okay. Trust me, for $1.99 for 50, I think it's 54 hours or 52 hours of trapping instruction, $199 is pretty cheap. And... Uh, but if you want to get even that better discount, you only have to the end of this month, I'm pretty sure. So just keeping that in mind. So what's going around on the Predator Control Group compound right now? Well, last week we talked about long line and enjoying the suck and the grind and all that. And that's one of those things when you, you know, it's like when, when you're in a helicopter and you're going into Indian country, you don't start talking about crashing and stuff like that because it seems like you're going to jinx something when you start doing that. Well me talking about the grind and enjoying the suck and the chaos and you know sucking it up and all that my god it come way hard this week i mean it, the 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 suck and the chaos are like brothers and sisters and they're working as a team for once i mean that's exactly what this has been like and the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up a little bit is i have not started loading my van yet now i'm going to the nta i'm gonna be up at the nta uh start to finish uh, up in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. I hope to see everybody there. But I've got, uh, I had a wholesale order come in that is pallet size. And they, they want me to bring it to the NTA. And I've got another wholesaler that's, that's done quite a bit also. And I'm in a van. You know, I don't have, I don't have like, you know, minions running around carrying stuff for me. We don't have you know all these uh, 18 wheelers or big trucks or nothing it's a van now the the reason i'm bringing this up is the first thing we're going to load in the the van me and travis is going to load is all the stuff that's already pre-bought and then whatever room is left is what i'm going to put in there to sell at the nta and the reason that could be important to you if you're coming into the nta and you're wanting cat collector, boss dog, or federales, or whatever it is, it probably would behoove you to be there kind of early and not uh, fiddle fart around about getting it this, this time at the NTA. Because I guarantee you, I will not have the inventory that I normally have. And it is a good chance, unless the van grows between now and tomorrow morning when we start actually loading all that stuff up, that there's even going to be some products I probably won't have. So just keep that in mind. If you're going to the NTA and you're coming up there and you want to get uh, some of my stuff, it, it may be a little skimpy this year because of all the other uh, stuff that I've got to take up there that's already pre-sold. So, I mean, you know, from a business point of view, I'm doing what I've got to do, but I just want to give you a heads up 
on that a little bit. Now I want to, uh, with all the craziness going on, I want to do a couple of things on critical thinking. Guys, we've got to learn to be critical thinkers. We've got to. Now I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. And what I'm getting ready to say, I will almost guarantee you I'm doing something that anybody as a podcast should never do. I'm going to severely give half of y'all a case of the red ass about what I'm getting ready to say. But I want you to think in critical terms. Because the more you think in critical terms, that's going to transfer over your trapping. And all of a sudden, you'll be in a little bit different zone than everybody else. And life gets a little bit easier. But And, and a lot of it is word games. I'm going to give three examples here. And uh, the first one is, the first example is, are you still kissing your sister? Now, someone comes up to you and asks you that in a crowd. How do you answer that? Well, there is no way to answer that. See, it's, it's a game. It's a mind game with words is what it is. It's a trick play on words. You know, are you still? Uh, yes, I am still kissing my sister. Or no, I'm not kissing my sister anymore. Either way, and not that you ever probably did kiss your sister. At least I hope not. Not in a more than platonic way. But there, there's no way to answer that question on the spot. You know, the same thing could be said. Hey, man, you quit beating your wife yet? You know, yes, I've quit beating my wife, or no, I haven't quit beating my wife. There's no way to really answer that in a pop-style question where it's very short in duration. Now, see, another play on words, and we've probably all heard this, can God make a rock so heavy he can't pick up? See, that's not a real question about God or rocks. That's a question playing on the human mind where you get stuck in the middle and there's no good answer there because either God's all-powerful and he can build this rock, but if he's all-powerful, if he builds it stronger and heavier than he can pick up, then he's not all-powerful. See, it's a, it's a trick is what it is. Now, see, you need to be in, in your trapping with your family life, with your business life, with your employee life, with your tra everything, you need to start thinking in critical formats. I mean, consciously think about this. Because one of them that I'm hearing right now over and over again is driving me in nuts. It's driving me absolutely crazy on the radio. Like uh, in the mornings, I go over to my farm when the sun's barely coming over the horizon and I get about two hours work over there. So I'm listening to my Patriot Radio and that has got Breitbart on there at thought that time. And they're like in the tank 100%. They don't care what Trump does or says. He's the man and they're going to push him. So they went on this campaign of any vote not for Trump is a vote for Hillary. Now see, that's the same play on words as if you are you still kissing your sister. And I see the people that say that from the beginning, they know they're doing trickery. They know this. But to the, but to the masses that hear this and want Trump, for example, to be uh, president... You know, it gives them power that they really don't understand. It's because they're trying to manipulate the other person. Now, see, to me, manipulation is a is an abusive relationship, one person to another, and I refuse to put up with abusive relationships. You know, that's just my stand on things. Not everybody's the same, but to me, it's a big deal. So when someone says a, a vote for, I don't care, the Libertarian, the Green Party, Mickey Mouse, it doesn't matter who it is, if it's not a vote for Trump, it's a vote for Hillary. Now on the other side, 
the, if it's not a vote for Hillary, it's a vote for Trump because there's a Green Party where there's some radical people out there, uh, really crazy watermelon communist style uh, environmentalist that are, are getting in the race and she's very articulate. So now Hillary's doing the same thing. If, a, if you vote for them, you're voting for Trump. And then all of the minions go out there and repeat this over and over and over again. And it's a trickery. Critical thinking, you should always think in terms of multiple choice answers. And if you can't, there's a good chance you're getting screwed with. Now, the, the person you meet on the street probably didn't know they're screwing with you. They just know it makes people uncomfortable and they're trying to prove a point and they think that they browbeat you into their uh, submission on what they want you to do, you can go along with it. See, that's called dichotomy. Dichotomy's die is two and, and, and it's, it's, it's where there's only one or two answers. Like uh, the same thing we hear from liberals all the time. If we don't give the schools more money, what, you hate children? So we either give them more money or you hate children. So that's a dichotomy. No, there's, there's a, how about have a more efficient school system? How about this? This starts teaching kids that something actually matters. Start teaching them American history beyond the Civil War, which they don't do now in Common Core, different things like that. Having teachers that actually care, having, I mean, we can go on and on and on, but see that dichotomy screws with it. Now see, if someone votes, like uh, I've got a t-shirt coming that I hope gets here today or tomorrow, because Thursday or Friday I'm wearing it to the NTA. Now, if you don't know who Ragnar is, you need to look him up, Ragnar Lothbrook. And I'm wearing a t-shirt, Ragnar for President 2016. It's a joke, guys. But if you don't know who Ragnar is, look him up. Now, there's gonna be a lot of people, I guarantee, and I'm doing this just to have fun, because I know there's gonna be some people that's gonna get irate because it doesn't have Trump on it. I don't think there's many people at the NTA that's gonna have uh, want Hillary Clinton on there. But it doesn't say Trump and they're going to, well, if you vote for him, it's a vote for Hillary. I know I'm going to hear that. I hear it all the time now because people try to get me to play politics on, the, on this show for some reason. But uh, I'm, I'm not going to go that way. But if I were to vote for Ragnar and write him in, or better yet, we're going to go with Big Daddy Warhorse Jeff Dunlap. Okay. We're going to say Jeff Dunlap for president. And I really want Jeff Dunlap to be president. I think he can be a good president. I think it'd be an interesting presidency, I could tell you that. Because it would be some very cool game laws around the country open up really, really quick. But, if that's what I really believe, and I want Jeff Dunlap to be president, and I vote for Jeff Dunlap, guess who I'm voting for? Jeff, Big Daddy, Warhorse, the death dealer himself, Dunlap. That's who I'm voting for. I'm not voting for Hillary, and that's not a vote for Trump. It's for Jeff Dunlap. So if someone's gonna not vote for Trump, it doesn't mean they're not voting for Hillary, or they are voting for Hillary. I mean, that's just a play on words. You critically think. Another one, just, just to, to understand a little bit of things. Part of this stuff in politics right now is because there's no real critical thinking going on in politics. Now, and, and the politicians do not want you to start thinking like this, I promise you. See, right now, everybody is upset over the election coming up. Now, see, the election, that's a president, and he puts a chief of staff, and it goes through the judicial process, and it goes all the way down. That's a chain of command. That's what that is. Same in the military. Generals, colonels, majors, captains, lieutenants. 
you know, master sergeants, uh, you know, all, all the way down to the private. It's a chain of command. That's what it is. And everybody gets wrapped up on this chain of command. Now, if humans would think a little bit more critically in the way that they think, you would start looking at that kind of the way that my chickens look at me if I give them something they're not sure they want to do and they give me that kind of sideways, one-eyed look where they're really giving me this, you know, the stink eye if they're going to try it or not. You know, that's what happens when you start critical thinking. So we're fired up on the chain of command because we have been trained from birth, wrapped in a flag with a big American foam finger, screaming America and all this, that the only thing that, uh, that can change America is the chain of command. Now see, that's the most non-logical, most non-rational and non-critically thinking way a person can think in, in America. It really is. It's, there's nothing rational about that. Because if you, if you wanna get into what changes America, and I'm gonna give you a good point, and you may or may not like it here in a second, is not the chain of command, guys, it's the chain of obedience. The chain of obedience is where the power's at, not in the chain of command. See, I can give you two examples on this. A couple of years ago, there's one of these mass shootings and one of these guys that's all doped up and pissed off because some girlfriend dumped him or whatever, so he goes somewhere and he starts shooting people and they start screaming gun control. And they get start getting really serious about gun control. Obama and all the Democrats are doing their thing. And that's what the chain of command was saying they're gonna do. He's talking about executive orders and this, that, and the other. Not that it would stand up because of constitutional and even in this liberal as our uh, Supreme Court is now. Doesn't matter. The chain of obedience slapped that down like a dirty bitch. And see, there was nothing the federal government could do about it. Because when they started that, they automatically started getting stuff on YouTube and on Fox News and all these podcasts and, and blogs where local county sheriffs, mayors, governors, different things like that were saying, we will not enforce this law. And if you enforce it in our state, our county, our city, we will arrest you. Now see, the chain of obedience got flipped around from the chain of command in that one time. Now see, gun control went away really quick when those videos from the sheriffs and the mayors and stuff like that started coming out. Because they were saying, you, you try to do that here, we will arrest you. And the federal government has no power without the chain of obedience. Okay. Um, so think about that when you're thinking about this is the the most important election that we've ever had in our country, which I've heard at every single, I'm 47 years old, I've heard that every four years since I, I can remember it, which is probably about eight or nine years old. Every one of them is the most important uh, thing in the world. Now see, another thing about chain of obedience that is a really good example of that is Colorado and making marijuana legal. Whether you like marijuana or not, it's irrelevant. I, I don't smoke it, never smoked it, don't care to smoke it. But what they did is they used the power of the chain of obedience, which always trumps the chain of command every single time when you're dealing with politicians and governments and stuff like that. So you just hadn't been taught this, or you're, you're taught not to think like this because everybody's in a tizzy about the presidential election and 
you know, uh, they're starting to find out that the, the Republicans are actually for illegal immigration because they're pushing that. This TTP stuff they're doing, which is going to make it where it's all of a sudden now you're going to have to agree with the crazy liberal millennials coming out of college that says that the corporations control everything because if that passes, they will. And there will be a court that trumps our Constitution, our Congress, our president, everything, and all the politicians are lining up for this for globalism. So it's gonna—they're gonna put us in like a worldwide EU type situation. You probably haven't heard that much about this, but it's gonna get rid of all the sovereignty in the world. Now the chain of obedience can stop that pretty freaking quick, just like the chain of obedience in Colorado can stop if if the people around there want to smoke marijuana and they just start smoking it and put it in stores and the in the state starts passing laws and county starts passing laws where it's okay to smoke marijuana and the federal government's up there like a screaming raving uh, gorilla beating on its chest saying i am king of america and you must do what i say and the chain of obedience goes and eh, go pound sand we don't care what you say now you've got several states that can can legally smoke right or wrong ethically or not whatever that they can do that but see that's a good example that no one is taught the chain of obedience out trumps the chain of command because if it did we'd live in a very different country right now we wouldn't be at each other's throats all the time over the chain of command because the chain of command is not that important if we all get together and start worrying about the chain of obedience the chain of command is pretty irrelevant that's rational thinking that's critical thinking and that's what we need to do and when we're when we're thinking about the elections that are coming up and, for, and one of the main reasons to think this way guys is so you don't waste a bunch of energy on the chain of command that is going to lie to you like everybody else has done i don't care which side it is you know i mean it's it, don't get wrapped up into it it's it's a it's it's just like are you still kissing your sister that's exactly what it is so i want to get in some trapping stuff right now and uh the first one this is from cj moore these are emails since i've been doing uh i'm, I'm sending letting these guys know that I'm answering this on trapping radio, but the question is what's the best way to store traps until next season? I just clean them and going to dip them in full metal jacket. Thanks for any advice, CJ. Um, this is a pretty open-ended uh, type of thing you can do, man. I mean, it really is. Um, I like barrels. I mean, I, I can I can find 55, and, and there, there again, all this is going to depend on on what you what you have. Um, you know, I mean, you may have more traps than me. I don't know, but I've got this. I've got 55 gallon drum barrels full of traps, footholds, snares, body grips, all that type of stuff. That's the easiest way for me to do it. And the way that I separate these, for me personally is I've got coyote traps with drags in their own barrels. I've got plain coyote traps that if I'm gonna stake something or extension cable, they don't have the drags and chains, that's in a barrel. I've got what I call baby traps. So if I'm gonna go out and you know try to catch badger or a raccoon with footholds or something like that, all the baby traps, and to me that's a number two to a, a number one. Basically, they've got their own barrels. They got their own home there, so I can go to these barrels whenever I want to. Uh, I, my 220s have their own barrels. My 330s have their own barrels. The Bilal's actually have their own barrels. My big 330s have their own barrel. 
and I go on and on like this. That's the way that I store them. And the, the reason I like using the barrels and I like them with the lid is where I keep most of them, it gets pretty hot in the summer. So I will do whatever I'm doing to the traps, which is normally gonna be just blow them off and dip them in full metal jacket. Or if they're getting in really bad shape, I may boil them in full metal jacket. Is I'll set them in them barrels and leave them for about two or three weeks. And it's smoking hot down here in the south right now. And, it's, and it's, there's no moisture on those traps in a couple of days. They're in metal or plastic barrels and it burns off. And then I'll put the lid on and seal it. So basically I've got a desert environment inside of that. And uh, there's not much condensation that seems to be going on with that. And another thing that I like about this method, if I'm doing a lot of coyote snares, bobcat, dry land type snares, it's got its own barrel, which is normally a 30 gallon barrel. And then I will put in cedar brows and hemlock brows and I will layer those snares from, you know, uh, like hemlock brows and then a bunch of snares and hemlock brows and a bunch of snares and hemlock brows and a bunch of snares and I fill it up kind of like salted fish. When I take those snares out the next year, they smell like, guess what, hemlock. So I mean, it's, it's like a killer scent cover on the snare that's completely natural. So I kind of like that myself. That's why I do it. I know a lot of people that use plastic totes. Um, depending on the volume of traps that you've got, that, that can definitely work. A lot of times they're more expensive than getting used clean uh, barrels. Like I'm talking about 55 gallon style metal uh, barrels. Uh, but uh, they will definitely work and but they to me unless you get the really expensive ones they have a tendency to crack and break because there's heavy stuff in there and if you're moving them around so another reason I like the barrels that'll definitely work I know some guys that like using um, wooden boxes that they build or they buy you know I like that a lot, you know, because it's natural. I'm getting her to get into why that is in a, in a, in a minute. But how you store them is, is pretty irrelevant. I, at one time, I had them all on shelves. I built these wooden shelves in a wooden building, and I set them up there like inventory on a store. It was really handy. I could go in, especially in the summertime where I'm not using the volume of traps or snares, and they were laid out. You know, I had, you know, I had, you know, five or six dozen coyote stuff five or six dozen beaver uh, footholds and I had snares and I had body grips and stuff like that and it was real easy to grab and it was real easy to put back you know but if you if you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of traps that that gets that gets kind of uh, hard to do so I mean this is one of those I just I've never really thought about what you don't want to do with your traps uh, you know, I've even like even dog proofs. I keep those separate. Uh, you know, part of the reason I keep those separate is they're never as clean, even as a dirty cow trap. And you're using, you know, you get monster grizz bait or whatever your potion of choice is that you're using on that. You know, and I've got a, a 55 gallon drum of FB ones and FB twos <coughs> in a barrel, and you've got those really sweet uh, tight baits and stuff like that in there. You know that whole barrel smells like that you know so if you're even when you wash them out and clean them you know i don't get those things as perfectly clean as i do other stuff you know because that's there's just not needed really and um, so that's one thing i do now i will say if you're using 
Now listen to me on this one, guys, because this will stop me getting some of these questions sometimes. Is um, if you're using full metal jacket, speed dip, uh, any type of, of, of dip product that I've ever played with, and I haven't played with them all. I'm sure there's some out there that, that this may not be the case. But what I've noticed with all of those is if you put them in a sealed plastic tote container or 55 gallon drum or 30 gallon drum, whatever you're going to use, if you seal them bad boys up, there's something uh, without the lack, without the oxygen or something, and I don't know what this is. I can't give you a uh, a reason why. It's just an observation that I've had because uh, I've tried speed dip, the gasoline, then the Coleman, then the racing fuel, and I've tried all those. And um, and then with full metal jacket, I can kind of do. It kind of does the same thing, and I don't really know why. But just through an observation, it, it's taught me a lesson on this. And one of them is. Uh, When you seal up the dips, there's there, there's an odor when you open that, that bucket up next summer. I don't know why exactly, like I said, but there is. Now, what I've also observed is if it's being plastic, not so much metal or wood, but plastic seems to do this for some reason. If you pop the lid, you know, three or four days before you need to go use them or dump them out on the floor of your shop or whatever, it goes away completely. But the reason I'm saying that is, let's say that if you're if you're one of the guys that's all you know worried about everything, really big into the scent and stuff like that, and you you've got them in your totes and you take them out of your your shop and you throw them in the back of your truck and you're going to do a job and you open up that and you smell um, whatever that that smell is. I mean, it's it's just kind of weird. I mean, it's not like a bad smell. It's just a smell, and you smell that and you're really you're really. Um, you know, really tight on your scents and stuff like that, you're going to lose all faith in your equipment at that time. And your catch will be off just because that, because you're going to automatically assume that that trap won't catch when you're putting it in. And it really doesn't matter, but it could to you and you don't want to be in that situation. So for me, if I, if I was going to take them out of the, the shop and I had them in plastic, I'd either get them in a different bucket with a different lid or set them outside for a couple of days where they couldn't get rained on, something like that. Just let them air out and just go use them. But besides that, there's not a whole lot of, of anything you have to do. You don't want to leave them outside where they're touching the dirt. You don't want to leave them outside where they can get rained on or snowed on or something like that. You're just going to have excessive rust. And if you've got a very acidic type soil, it's 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 gonna eat it you know so i mean just use your common sense when it comes to to doing stuff like this and you'll you'll probably be pretty good with uh, with what you're doing with it so you know this is one of those that i feel like sometimes and this this could be this could not be the case with with this email but you're thinking that everything's got to be a certain way for you to be a good trapper or for everything to work and it's not necessarily the case. I know guys that just have them. They come, they get, they get them after they're bold, and they just dump them in the the corner of a building somewhere, and that's where they sit. I know other guys that that, that stack them very neatly on pallets with tarps over them outside, different things like that, and they put wood, and it's completely covered from the weather, and that's kind of their system. And I and I've, I've been to students' houses where. 
they have like three traps in a plastic bag and then they'll they'll have all these plastic bags around the traps and they'll put them in plastic totes and they'll seal the totes with tape and so there's no foreign order can get in there i mean it, it can go either way i mean you can go to the off the chart way of trying to keep them clean or just use medium way either way is fine really um it, it doesn't really uh to me matter i mean you just don't want them to get more degraded than they are you know clean them up before they sit there all summer and you got chemicals and if you use salt you want that off of there and all that type of stuff you just want all that off of there and then you, you'll be rocking and rolling you know uh, when it comes time to use them and another thing you'll have better energy when it comes to doing scouting if you've got your traps cleaned up and put up right after the season where it's not hanging over your head so when the days start happening that starts cooling off you start getting kind of excited about trapping if you haven't cleaned your traps you're gonna have to make the decision to start doing that when you should be out scouting and you're not using the most efficient part of your time at, at you know at that particular time so just think about that now this is another question from a say eg on this now this is a two-part email question so there's two emails on this now i wasn't ignoring you on this i just wanted to say this because this is a little bit bigger uh uh question than just a couple of sentences on email so eg you'll know who you are running to snare beaver i've seen meat trapper do something with rebar however would one or uh, with three eighths or half inch fiberglass rod work as snare support and vertical drowning rod your input would greatly help thanks eg um, and i'm going to go and i'm going to go straight to the other email from him and i'm going to read this because this is like i said this is the because this next email says help like i said i was waiting to do this on the show so i could do you right on this man so that's the reason i didn't answer it trying to think i'm uh, trying to think on purpose will a single half inch fiberglass rod work to support for snare and a vertical drowner at the same set if so is there a market for them they seem very difficult to find and what price would the market bear Thank you for your help, EG. Okay, now I want to say something on this before we get into this. If, if you're getting kind of frustrated right now because I'm because you asked me a market question on this, um, this is, I, I probably have had 150 people ask me about bringing these things to market. There used to be a guy in Michigan that sold what he called carbon rods they could be carbon, but I think they were just black fiberglass rods, to be honest with you. I could be wrong about that. I've got several of them. I bought a bunch from them. I mean, I still use them. But then I picked up some white fiberglass at a Pennsylvania show with a tailgater that I traded him something for. And when you got to messing with it, looking at the insides of it, it looks the same as what we were thinking were carbon rods years ago. I think it was just a black fiberglass rod so this is not a new idea by any stretch there's been hundreds of people over the the years that has asked me this same thing now we're going to get into the practical purpose of the 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 fiberglass before we get into the business part of this because it seems to me that that eg you're thinking about bringing these things to market and there's some things to keep in mind about this if you're going to do that okay the fiberglass is an awesome material for trapping. There's no doubt. I've got T-bars made out of it. I've got uh, 220 and 330 stands 
with the where I've welded on top of the T-bars the little clip so you can just hook in the trap for dry land and water. All of that works really well. It's um, it doesn't rust. It can bend. Animals don't seem to chew on it, so that's not really an issue at all right there. It's uh, it's light. Oh man, is it light? I mean, I can take. I can take six or eight CDRs or T, TS85s in my, my left hand and then take that many of the carbon rods that mine are I think eight or nine foot long that I bought in my other hand and I can walk off into the woods or to a swamp. I can put them in a canoe. If those fiberglass rods were re-rod, I would be getting worn out pretty freaking quick. So. The lightness is a big deal. The other thing that I noticed is when I was, before I got into using the dog proof so much, especially the FB1s and the FB2s that I'm, you know, uh, that I've just used pretty much right now, I was using a lot of footholds. I was using long springs and cold springs and all that. My system at the time was three foot of chain, T-bar and a stake. I didn't worry about drowning anything. It was a speed thing. It was the system that I was using that uh, basically came from Don Bolte out of Nebraska back in the 60s and 70s. So that was the system that I was using. But I was using re-rod 3.8 T-bars. Now you get 300 T-bars in the back of a truck and you've got serious weight. And that's just the staking system. That's not the traps and the bait and all that. That's just the stakes. When I went to the T-bars I could pick all those up in a cooler by myself and put them back. I could, you'd never do that with rebar. So there's a lot of advantages to using this. Now, would it support a snare? And see, there's two questions the way this was asked on the first email and the second email. Could it support a snare and could it be a vertical drowner? Yes, it could be. And, and probably what, I'm not sure which video you watched of Meat Trapper, but he's probably using it as a drowning rod. Um, you can do the same thing with a fiberglass. Now the way you get this to work, if you, because it, you've got to have some way to connect hardware to fiberglass, is you, you get the closest conduit, just the thinnest conduit that you can get from a hardware store, where it barely slides over your size of fiberglass that you're using, get a really big flathead screwdriver or chisel get it where you want and if you need to weld something on there you know like a nut or a support wire for a snare rig you want to do that ahead of time and then you slide that that the the conduit with whatever you've done to it over the fiberglass pole and you hit it three or four times on one side is plenty with that chisel or big flathead screwdriver and you'll never get it off ever animal can't take it off you can't take it off your brother-in-law that's a mechanical genius can't take it off not unless he eats the fiberglass out from under it so when you do that it's on there permanently and you know that's what that thing's going to be for the rest of its life so keep that in mind it's pretty simple so if you're if you're going to do kill poles with these which i've got i've used those you get the piece of conduit you wear your number nine wire on there then you slide it over the the top end of the pole and you hit it with your chisel or your screwdriver with a hammer and you're done it's it's pretty simple on a slide rod you got to think you're going to have to have some, well, something on the end that you can stake to with a washer that you could weld to the conduit you know you can get more creative uh you but you then you're going to have to have your lock in there so make sure you put that on first 
and then on the bottom you got to have a stop and so uh, depending on if you're going to get into making this what I've noticed from the guy that built them in um, Minnesota the soil is very different in Minnesota than it is where I live here and the way that he was doing the ends of these fiberglass rods is it was dang near three foot of the eight or nine feet was below the stop and, and the reason he did that is because and all that peat and, and, and all that type uh, real sloppy stuff that's up there in the upper Midwest you know it's just like you know goose crap that you're trying to stake this off to so you needed a great big end now see for me in Tennessee you know, we got clay and, and hard packed sand and stuff like that 12 inches will hold anything so I had him move it down on me. So if you're going to get into doing this from a marketing point of view, you, you need to have it where either the customer can adjust it to where they want it or you've got the, the long end for the more upper Midwest where you're around a lot of swamps and, and peat and stuff like that. And then for the rest of the country where you're not going to have such soft soil in the water, that it, you're only going to have it 12, 14 inches where that sticks in. But that's how you put these things together. Now the T-bars is pretty simple. On the top of your conduits, you weld a piece of a re-rod so you can beat on it. You slide it over the pole, you hit it with your chisel. Now, there's been a lot of cool things done with this. I've seen 330 stands built out of it, like deep water stands, which are much lighter, never rust, over the metal ones. I've seen 330 bears jaws built out of these things. You could build a 330 out of a half-inch fiberglass pole and kill anything that gets in it. And the, the, the cool part about it is there's always going to be more tension on that trap than there would be a metal one because the fiberglass is trying to go straight. So it's putting tension on the animal at the same time. So the fiberglass part of this, you could be like the fiberglass master if you really got creative on what you want to do with these things. And yes, there is a market. So it's, can, you hold, can you do it for, will a half inch work for snaring? It will. It works for beaver coon, uh, bobcats, fox, and smaller animals like that. Uh, it would work on badger. When it comes to coyotes, I have a feeling that they'll break it a half inch. Mine are half inch. I use them more on beaver, coon, and, and cats than I do anything else. Uh, I don't really like using that on otter because it's such a powerful animal. You can, I've held them with it, but th they wobble that out so much that unlike anything else I've ever seen because they never quit fighting that it seems like it can be an issue if you're going to do that on a regular basis so I don't know if I'd go that way with it but a half inch for everything but coyotes perfectly fine you know they're again depending on your soil type I like mine four feet because I use them in the water and I use them on dry land um, uh, they're light I can carry a bunch of them I can put a bunch in a canoe you know that makes that makes trapping real easy when you do it that way and then the other thing that you can do is uh, if you're going to go with coyotes, I would recommend playing around. Someone's going to have to do some testing on this, and I would start with 5-8 fiberglass, which you can get, and, and then see if, how that works. I think that'll be enough. I know the 1-inch fiberglass will because you, you, can, you can dang near beat a rhinoceros to death with it. So... There ain't no way they're going to break a one-inch piece of fiberglass. They just, they, I don't think a wolf could. You know, uh, most deer couldn't. Uh, a moose, maybe. I mean, that, that is, that's like rebar. And it's still lighter. Now, it's more expensive. 
Now, so you, you're going to have to at least go up to the five eighths to start testing it for coyotes, and then and you may end up going with a one inch. You know, doing it like that. Now, so one thing for marketing, if you were to do the the one inch kill pole with a snare type kit type thing, sell it to guys that are trying to snare hogs, you'd have a winner right there. Because then you could just you can make it so easy for them with a little pamphlet. They could be hog snaring in no time, and the pole's not going to freak out a hog whatsoever, no matter what the color is. So yes, you can definitely use it for snares. And uh, is vertical drowning? Yes, absolutely. The cool thing about the fiberglass on the vertical drowning is you can you can have a, a your your uh, like your trap with the top staked up towards the bank, and with the fiberglass, if you've got a hole. You can, you can bend that fiberglass to match that hole. And it, if you do that with re-rod, you're gonna have to unbend it. So you can do some really cool things with re-rod that you can't do. One of, one of the things I really like doing on the fiberglass poles, if I'm, if I'm catching raccoon and it's gonna be very visible to people and there's water there, if it's a high bank trail, I can, I can, I can take uh, one of my Freedom Brand traps I can I can set it and hook it to the drowning pole. Then I can from a vertical place I can stake I can stake it where it's going to be up on the the trail. Now see with fiberglass to get it over the bank I can bend that where it's almost in a 45 degree angle. It's bowed out, but the top piece that the traps hooked to is is parallel to the ground if you follow me. And then it goes out to the water and it bows down towards it's straight up and down going into the water. So the coon gets on it, and I mean, he goes a couple of feet, now he's on a roller coaster ride to the bottom, and there's no way you can get out of it. You would never be able to do that with steel, or you wouldn't want to, because every time you tried to do this, you'd have to re-straighten out your rebar. But with a fiberglass, you can definitely do that. So it can be. Those are two different things. Now this second email that I read is a very interesting question, and I, and I'm, I believe e.g. what you're saying is can you use it for a snare support and a vertical drowner at the same time now see that is some creative thinking if that's what you're thinking and that's pretty cool man um, uh, and I'm gonna get a little crazier with this probably than you were thinking about because this is a cool idea you know this you talking about stacking functions now this is stacking functions so let's say how would we rig this up to work? Well, depending on the animal that you want to catch, if it's from a beaver size, otter size, coon size, on your conduit, you could just, on the very top end where you're going to be staking it off on the, 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 the land part, you could just put your number nine wire in there and weld it and wrap it around three or four times. If you've never seen how that's done, you can go to watch my YouTube channel, Wolfer Nation, you can click through the videos and you'll see it. And if you gave it enough uh, wire, yeah, absolutely you could. So what you would do is you would hook the snare to the drowning clip that the trap normally goes to and then hook the snare with your, however you're hooking your snare, whether it be plastic or whammy or zip ties, whatever you're using, you could hook that up on the, the support side. And when you catch the animal, it, it and I would say out of maybe two or three times out of a hundred, the wire sticking up is gonna cause you an issue. Most of the time, the first time the animal pulls against it and then goes back against that number nine wire is just gonna fold over and he's gonna go down your rod 
but there may be like i said two times three times out of 100 it gets wrapped up that's livable at least it is to me and then that way you could you could catch it and and run it off now see there's some there's some advantages to thinking this way for one it's it's uh it's a way to get something in the water and out of sight or dead and it's stacking function so you're not bringing a snare support and, and a drowning rod at the same time so that's that's cool i mean that's just right up my alley there so i, I definitely get that but let's take this to a, a different place um so I, so my answer is yes you definitely can but let's take this to a different way of looking what if we had and you wouldn't want to have a hundred of these guys but you could have probably a, a dozen or two for this reason which would be really really cool i think anyway so and, and it depends on where you're at what your animals are like and pretty much everywhere that you're going to be around water this would work to some on, on some places some function or other. it won't work everywhere there's no way but a lot of times when I'm going up or down a creek, <coughs> there's a high bank coon trail that the cats and the fox are on. And it can be two, three feet away or four feet away from the water. But there's also beaver and otter or coon or whatever that's going to be down at the water's level. Now, what if we stack the function of this up to even a greater degree? What if we had the number nine wire on the top so we could snare the high bank trail? Now you wouldn't want to run that down the, the wire, you'd want to anchor that off to a, a bush or something um, away from that, or you could, you could actually hook that to the staking part that you've got on the top end of your drowning rod. It'd be totally up to you. I'd probably go off the rod, you know, just because I wouldn't want him to loosen it up in case I caught, you know, world record albino otter or something on the bottom side and he's already loosened up the stake and I've got issues. So I would probably go off to a tree or a bush or something like that. But it'd be really cool if I had some long ones, say 10 feet, 12 feet long, that I could set it up and stake it next to the high bank trail, snare the animal off of the trail, let him be bouncing around, and then on the bottom side, and, and, and see the, the cool thing about this is a lot of times you'll have a good beaver set or an otter set, and just a couple of feet away there is the high bank trail. Now, so what you're going to key on is the places that you can catch the beaver or otter in the water or the raccoon if you wanted to do this and you could uh, look for where that set is and then the high bank trail don't go from the high bank trail to the water look at the water to the high bank trail so when you see like a beaver slide it's, it's kind of a low bank and you see beaver going up and down it and there's a high bank trail that's going up and down the creek so what you would do is then you could you could catch the beaver and otter and drown them on the rod and you could use the upper end of this thing as a snare support and catch the animal up there. Now, if you don't have a lot of animals you're dealing with, you could put both of them on the drowner. But if you catch something on the top before you catch something on the bottom, it's going to pull the bottom one out of the bed. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Don't think that it's a bad thing because it's not. What it's just a, it's it's like doubling up on a set, and and that is a, a really cool way to do anything. So, um, that, that is, I mean, that, that's kind of exciting to me. I'm gonna, I probably will have to play around with that myself. Because any way that I can, I can use one amount of energy with one amount of time and catch two animals, oh dude, you're at a different level right there, you know? And it's, like I said, it's not gonna work everywhere. That, that is uh, definitely true. 
so and there's going to be some mishaps with that i guarantee it but let's say that you're, you're going and and you've got the situations where you can use this you get 24 of these out and you double up on half of them well i mean that, that's a, that's an extra pile of animals that you may or may not may or may not got now you can take this in many different ways you could be catching coon at the creek which is probably going to happen pretty close to daylight or dark so that animal is going to be down in the water and gone and then up on the high bank trail you could use it as a snare or you could use it as a blind set or you could use it at a dirt hole or a flat set you know whatever you wanted to do so in theory for it to work the best like if you're doing coon stuff or beaver stuff a lot of times that happens you know right after dark so that gets gone and you're praying that that gets gone out of the way and in the water before the top end comes into it but that is uh dude that's that's super cool if you pull that off and uh i, I would definitely now see like i said before you can make 330s you can do beaver stands you can do t-bars you can it's unlimited what you can do it, it, it's you know this is one of those things with the fiberglass so you need to think like einstein so you you see the invisible to do the impossible and you know he was really big on that and you know a lot of people think he's a pretty smart dude and I, I personally do but you know when you're thinking about using a material like this what can you get away with not what you've seen other people do with it but what can you do with it you know how can you market it now what is the price well that's going to depend on what it is you're selling if i remember right i think i paid I think it was 12 or 14 dollars for my drowning rods and this was back oh good grief this this has to be eight nine years ago maybe 10 could be 12 but um i think that's what i paid you know for it. the the t-bars i think they were 24 dollars a dozen they were two dollars a piece um you know he i tried to get him to do kill poles he never did uh, it, he was at shows for a couple of years and he'd go away and so he never really got the marketing or the branding down on this thing where it could have been but it's wide open for anybody to do you know and that's what i'm saying so you know the reason i'm bringing this open the open this is not a very um this is not a private idea that you've got ag on this is this is one of those it's an opportunity sitting there that anybody could do and there's been like i said over a hundred people easy it's already thought about doing this. Now, this is what you got to think about when you're thinking about doing this. Can you find it where it's in green or black or brown or tan or something like that? That would be, I would try to find a manufacturer that you could deal with directly. Trying to do this by buying it from a hardware store or a feed store is going to be too expensive. So the first thing that you'd have to do is sit down and figure out where you can get this at. And, the, and you got a pretty powerful machine in front of you now probably. It's called Google. It won't be an easy search because a lot of people have, have tried to do this. Not the people that sell it, but the people that manufacture it. And then you go to the people that manufacture it and you go, I want to sell this. And the first thing they're going to ask is there is, you know, you realize there's a minimum. Now, whatever that minimum is. Now, the guy that used to do what was called the carbon rod said he had to buy, I think it was a half million feet at a time or something you know was that was that true or not i don't know it could have been a, uh, something to say to keep other people from making it it could have been the truth don't know but if it's a half a million feet or a quarter million feet or uh, you know ten thousand feet of this stuff 
you know, you're going to have to get the first batch in hand somehow with the money to get them started. You know, and you're going to be better off if you can get them in black, green, tan, uh, something like that. If you spray paint them and they're white, it's going to flake off real quick. Not that it matters to the animal, but it will matter to the trapper. So, you know, keep that in mind. So the first struggle is going to be finding the manufacturer of these things. Even if it's over in China or somewhere like that, which I have a feeling most of this stuff's being made at. How are you going to get it over? You know, you'll have to talk to somebody that they're used to dealing with and they'll recommend somebody that'll, that, that will definitely take a cut to get it off a container. You go pick it up at somewhere and you, or they ship it to you and it's in color and it's a certain size. Now I would start with a half inch if it was me because you can do the sliding rods, you can do the T-bars, you can do the, the kill poles all except for coyotes. And then I would test the bigger size because when you go to the bigger size for the coyotes, it's going to get way more expensive. Now, then you're going to have to come to the conclusion, man, is the market going to pay the price that it's going to cost you plus your profit margin on a bigger piece of fiberglass? And I don't know that answer because I have a feeling uh, a one inch piece of fiberglass is probably twice as much than a half inch on a minimum. So that means your price going into it's going to be doubled plus your time to put the conduit on it which is going to be more expensive because it's bigger and then the number nine wire you know see there's no what the market can bear is pretty irrelevant here it's it's what's it going to cost you so you got to come up with that before you even worry about what the market can bear you know because it's, it's kind of like you're you're thinking about i've got a, a racehorse that uh, can go in races but it's never raced and I need to know what a, a good racehorse is worth. Well, you, you, he never raced yet. So that's kind of what an idea is. Now, an idea, if people get really confused today that ideas are valuable and they're not. An idea without distribution and, and, and product development and, and having product and having inventory and advertising and branding and all that type of stuff, that's what makes an idea valuable. The idea itself is not valuable. But this is something, man, yeah, you can definitely get into if this is something you wanted to do. But it's going to take you some legwork to be able to get the raw material to do this. And the cool thing about doing this is if you can swallow the first batch, take my advice on something. Do not spend a penny out of that first batch. Well, I, I take that back. Do not spend a penny more than the batch cost you from what you sell them for. 100%. That way, once you get the first batch in and sold, from now on, it costs you no money out of your pocket anymore. The worst mistake, and trappers do this all the time with stuff, is they put a lot of money into something, they get excited about it, they, they go out and they promote it, they sell it, they spend the money, and then now they don't have enough to keep it going, and it just goes away. So if you're gonna do this and say it costs you I have no idea what it would cost you. Let's say it's 10 grand to get enough of that in to get the price down where it works. That's all the shipping to you with the conduit. Everybody say it's 10 grand altogether. You don't spend any money out of your sales until you send 10 grand worth so you can replace that material and it doesn't have to come out of your pocket anymore. And if you don't do listen to anything else I've said on this, listen to me on that because you'll get in the you'll get upside down and you'll it'll get all squirrely on you. So. Um, 
pay attention to that one. Okay, we're gonna go to the the next one, and this is this is kind of off topic that we do a lot of times, but I think it's an interesting question. Uh, this is a the guy's gonna be bow hunting coyotes, which is kind of off the wall and kind of crazy, but it's kind of cool at the same time. Okay, I wanted to ask your personal opinion about buying one of your products. I'm familiar with your company's reputation, but you guys produce some uh, that you guys produce so many killer attractants. I figured I would ask the best, which is you. I'm going to be bow hunting coyotes from ground level with electronic collar and a mojo type decoy. I want to buy a great cover scent from you. If you would recommend one for me that I could call them in and, and when they see my decoy, the scent would really hold their attraction. Uh, thanks, Brett. Uh, first off, before we get into that, uh, the best cover scent in the world, and, you're, and, and this is one that's going to be hard to, to, it's not a sexy answer, is don't be with the wind blowing from your back towards your decoy. Or, or more important than that, don't be where the wind's blowing how the coyotes are going to come in. And if you're in thicker cover, that's going to get a whole lot harder. And a cover scent, the way coyotes smell, Brett, you can put whatever you want on you, and they're going to smell that and you. The drug dogs that separate all the different smells when they're when they're testing for drugs, they smell it all. The the scientists have pretty much proven that. So if you take heroin and you put it in coffee, and then you put it in Tide detergent, and you put it you know wrap that up with something that's got gasoline, then you got a metal container. The dog still smells the heroin. It also smells everything else that you have, you know, in, inside of there. And that's that's just the way they smell. So no matter what product you use, whether it be mine or somebody else's, you gotta stay out of the equation. And if you're dealing inside a cover, you got to you gotta keep in mind that a coyote is gonna circle when something seems a little strange. Now I know on TV they, they get enough footage where a coyote just runs out like a, a crazy person in the middle of an open field and they shoot him. But there's probably 300 coyotes before that one that circled around to figure out if it's safe to go in there. And all of a sudden, they come across the scent of the hunter and the hunter never sees it. And that's just a reality. You know, and you got to think from a coyote's point of view. Coyotes are, are very cautious animals. So let's say that you're going out, and, and we're, you're, we're not saying you're a coyote now, but let's just say you're going out in the, in the woods, and you're looking around, and you come to an open field. But before you get to the open field, you start hearing a girl's voice calling your name very seductively. Out in the middle of the woods, and you know your wife's not, or your girlfriend's not out there. And the voice is kind of strange. And what is the first thing that's going to go through your mind? You're going to be curious, and you're probably going to check it out. But I guarantee you, even as a grown man, if that's what you are, because I don't have your age, even if you're a grown man, you're probably going to go to the edge of the field where you can see or where you're going to, you're going to circle around so you can get a better view of what in the world is calling your name so seductively, even though it sounds like a very hot chick out in the middle of this open field. Now, in, 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 in reality, there's probably nothing in the woods that's going to actually attack you. So you have no rational fear not to just walk out into that field. 
but you won't do it because there's enough primitive stuff in your head still that if you don't know what this is and it seems kind of strange you're going to be very mistrustful now as good as calls are that's kind of what you're doing to a cow you've got the, you've got the the sexy girl calling you from the middle of the field you've got this sexy whatever making this sound whether it be in distress or call or whatever it is and they're going to be kind of cautious because they know they don't know that coyote. And then, depending on the decoy that you're using, and I don't know, I mean, I've seen some, some of the, like the mojo stuff where they look like ducks and their wings going around, but I don't know what type of decoy you're using. Now, I want to go back to you being in the woods. And if you're going to the edge of the cover and you hear this really sexy girl's voice, and you look out there and, and it's not a real person it's a blow-up doll standing out in the middle of the field making this noise it looks to you like she's called this blow-up doll is calling your name it doesn't look really that real possibly it's not moving exactly natural now you're really going to get very cautious about what's going on because you've never just like me i've never had a blow-up doll call me from the middle of the field you know, I'm going to think one of my buddies is playing a joke on me or there's some crazy meth heads running around or, you know, it's, it's on one of them crazy reality shows or something like that. I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm probably just not going to step out in the field like I own the place. And the coyotes are going to be the same exact way. Most of them. Now, you've got very careless coyotes, just like you've got very careless people. I could hang a snare in a mall painted orange and I guarantee you I'll catch a human being before day uh, for dark because some people just walk straight into it and won't even notice it and there's going to be coyotes of that way but it's probably not as many as are not so you got to keep that in mind so you're talking about being with a bow on the ground and you're going to be calling something in so you're going to have to get very creative on having a way that a coyote is going to have a hard time getting behind you whether it be such a thick um, thing of briars that goes on for several hundred yards or a complete drop off on the side of a mountain or a swamp where it's got water in it or a river or a creek or something because a lot of times you're going to have to be able to see your decoy and not let this animal get behind you because no matter whatever sin I tell you that I would recommend for this you've got to be where it can't smell you and the scent at the same time because the cover scent is is it's one of those things that's been told several times in the deer industry and this that and the other now I don't know how well a deer separates but I know dang well how well a coyote separates stuff so you're gonna have to how you set your stand up is gonna be very important now I'll tell you when I've done coyote calling in more timber type areas the best way that I found out how to do this is from me screwing up so many times and I'm definitely not using a bow you know so keep that in mind also but what I would do is I would get to the edge of the field I would put my decoy right on the edge of the field and I would back up into the woods and I would try to find lanes that I could do this on or, or having you know big canopy trees where you don't have a lot of stuff on the end or something like that or you're you can get on the side of a road looking into the field and you've got your decoy right on the edge now see your brain's gonna play tricks on me if you do what I'm getting ready to tell you but 
the way that I started doing coyotes is the way that everybody seems to do coyotes is you, you get on the edge of the field and you go out and put your decoy out in the middle of the field or somewhere out there in front of you and you're sitting on the edge. Now when a coyote comes up in the sexy voice, probably is going to look somewhat like a blow up doll to it. It's going to see that and maybe still be curious because the voice sounds really good. He's going to then circle. Now if you're on the edge and it's going to circle, it's not going to circle out in the open. But see, but you're right on the edge of the open. You see where the, the problem's coming with this now? So that coyote, and you watch coyotes that circle, when you get the few times I've got to watch coyotes actually circle something, because I've had them come behind me when I was calling, and you're pretty much just out of luck, because as soon as you move, they bolt, and it's hard to get a shot off that way. So, you know, keep, keep that in mind also. What I would do is I'd back up off of the edge of the woods, just where I could see the opening of the woods, and a little bit of my decoy, and my percentages went up. And what would happen is the wind would be blowing in my face. I may be 50 or 60 yards back off with using structure somehow or another. So I've got a shooting lane in front of me and I'm backing off as far as I can. And what happens is the coyotes that I never would have saw being on the edge of the woods were circling that, that thing before they committed to going out into it. And they would go right in front of me. They couldn't smell me. I wasn't moving so there wasn't anything to see and they were focused on what was out in that field making the noise and the movement but they weren't so much concerned what was between or behind them and the decoy they were concerned what was between them and the decoy if you follow what I'm saying so that's the way that I learned to do that and you know I'm, I'm using an AR-15 or a shotgun um, I don't know how far you can shoot a bow at something like a coyote, so you're going to have to figure that thing out. But that really helped on me. Now, as far as the scent, I would go with something like Boss Dog. I would go with uh, something like Triple X. Um, that's pretty much what it would be my standard thing, and this is how I would use it. I would take it out, set it next to the decoy, set the jar on the ground, open the jar take the lid set it right next to it and set the jar on top of the ground and you want to make sure it's full what you and and then that you're gonna back off and do your thing now boss dog and triple X when the wind hits that it goes a long way it's very interesting to the coyotes I think scent with coyotes and calling is one of the things that's really been um, not looked at to the fullest potential the wildlife industry, stuff like wildlife control supplies where they just put uh, water down coyote urine and call it a coyote scent, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a true, honest-to-goodness uh, coyote call like Triple uh, X or Boss Dog. And, and the reason you want to keep it in the jar is so when you leave, you can take it with you. The worst thing you could do, if you're ever going to be back to that area, is put it on the ground or put it on a tree or something like that. That's the worst thing you could do. Now, if there's a piece of brush out there or something, you could put some camouflage duct tape around the jar and you could wire it up three, four foot off the ground. It would help the scent get out further. But see, the thing about the, the whole system that I'm telling you about, about shooting a coyote this way is since you're not on the edge and the wind's going to be hitting you in the face because that's what a good hunter does, when the coyote starts circling, 
he's going to run into the scent cone of the of the the odor that he's really going to get fired up about something like boss dog or triple x so now he's going to hear the seductive voice he's going to see something out there and since a cow trusts his nose way more than he does his eyes or his ears <coughs> and he can smell something that, that that really gets him going you're on a different playing field than most other people that are going to call because when he gets in the cone of the odor, he's in front of you. So not only is the sound has his attention, the movement from whatever this decoy is probably gonna have his attention, and now he's got the, 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 the true thing that he trusts, which is in his nose, is gonna be telling him that's not a person, that does not smell like danger, you know, this, that, and the other, and different things like that. So, that that's the type of way I would use it. I would not use it as a cover scent. For goodness sake, man, please do not go and start slathering boss dog and triple X on you. Your wife, girlfriend, or wherever you work, they will outcast you forever if you do that. You know, um, don't do that. And you really don't want to anyway, because if you put a scent on you that actually is going to be appealing to a cow, that means it's going to be focused on you. Because even though you have the call going and you have the the decoy going. If his nose catches the odor, and that's what he trusts most, and that's what they do, he's going to focus on where that odor's coming from. And the way that they are, the way that they work, the ascent cone, he's going to know within an instant where you are at. And if you make any movement whatsoever, or you're not perfectly hidden behind something, you're going to be you're going to be out of luck. Now, most of the time when I called. I would always I would I would try to either have it in the morning or the evening where the sun was going to be behind me and I could get in front of a tree or, or in the shadow of bushes or something like that and I would I would either be in the prone that goes back to my military days I'm very comfortable shooting that way or I would at the at the worst I'd be sitting up leaning up against something but when you're doing that you're gonna have to raise the gun and, and that movement sometimes can, can give you away. In a prone position, even though it's not as comfortable for long, long distance of times, if you've got bipods on your rifle and it's just down at your shoulder, all you have to do is barely move that gun to get it on target and squeeze off the trigger. So with calling, I, I think that's a better way than, than standing or, or kneeling or sitting up. If you can handle that with wherever you're at at the time, I mean, don't go get down and get in a bunch of cactus and stuff to do this. But you know, uh, use your your brain on that. So that's a very interesting. I mean, I haven't really thought about that in a long time. Now the next one, which we're going to close up on, is um, one that I'm that I'm not making fun of at all I'm, I'm not I'm not doing anything the the first part of this and we're just gonna say this is from MC and it's from trapping radio 172 now 172 must have been one where I was talking about all of the um, the antis where I get so many death threats and stuff like this and he gives some some definitions of interpretation from scripture that he that he learned at uh, Bible College and and he gives some examples of that but on the bottom uh, he he asked me to talk about something which I don't think I really ever have but I guess we can um, 
off the subject of antis, I was thinking it may be an option to discuss Sasquatch or Dogman on Trapping Radio because most of the traps in my area don't believe they exist. I know from all your float trips you have seen many and I have seen seven Bigfoots and I've had them growl and roar at me. You're, in, you're the main voice of trapping. If you would say that you've seen them, others would believe you. It's my observation that they are multiplying, which increases the chances of encounter. If you do not like this idea, it's okay, but carrying a self-defense weapon is a smart thing to do in the boonies. Have a good day. Just remember, there are many on your sides, MC. Now, uh, Michael, brother, I, I've, never, I've never seen a Bigfoot. I'm not even sure what a dog man is. I should have maybe looked that up online ahead of time. I'm assuming that's something like a Bigfoot. Uh, I've never seen Sasquatch. I've never seen a track of Sasquatch. You know, and I've spent a lot of time outside looking down and different things like that. Um, if you say you've seen them, then, then you've seen them. If they've growled at you or warred at you, dude, you're in a scary part of the world. I mean, that would probably freak me out pretty good. Um, since I've never seen one, that's never really been on my mind. And then since I've never seen tracks or trail cameras or anything else that to give me the impression that I've been around, at least what I think a Sasquatch is from, from seeing stuff on TV of what some of the stuff, uh, you know, where they, they try to describe what it is or where it's from or different stuff like that. Um, if I'd ever seen one, I would definitely say that I've seen one. I've just never seen one. Uh, are they real or not, man? I don't know. I mean, uh, you, you you believe they are? That's obvious because you've mentioned this in several emails that you've sent me. So if if I would have seen one, brother, I promise I promise you, I would say that I've seen one. And I always have a smartphone or a camera, and and the, and I would definitely try to get that thing on film or take pictures of it. But I can't say what I didn't see, and 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 it. So I, I really don't know what to say about that. But I do think it's a good idea in which we're going to finish up the show. Wow, it's been a long show so far. Karen, <coughs> the defensive weapon, smart thing to do in the boonies. I totally agree. I mean, I've got a carry concealed permit that's good in like 40-something states. So pretty much when I go anywhere except in the communist countries of Illinois, New York, Maryland, and I don't go to Massachusetts, I'm pretty much covered. Now, there's some game law stuff that you have to do. So the reason I'm saying this is you can get books where it breaks down the laws of every single state. So before I go to a state, like I'm getting ready to go to Michigan, I always go to the book and uh, I make sure there's there's if there's anything weird that's out of the ordinary about what their gun laws are, that it's fresh in my mind. Like in Ohio, if you get pulled over, since I'm driving all the way through Ohio, uh, if I get pulled over, I caught for some reason in Ohio, you, and I'm carrying, which I will be because I carry uh, pretty much every day of the, the week. When you hand your driver's license, you need to tell them you have a gun and hand them your carry concealed card. If not, you get in big, big trouble. So that's one of their laws that I, that I have to, to, to know about. So I'll keep that. You know, some states will separate carry what you can do carrying and hunting and different things like that on certain grounds and different places and doing it but being to me it's just it's a smart thing to do uh bigfoot or not uh, of carrying a gun and i'm gonna give two examples really quick why i think it's important now in some states it's so restrictive that it's going to be really hard say like in new jersey 
I've been with Newt and he carries a little thing called a 22 Cricket, which is it's like a little kid's rifle. It's a single shot. It doesn't, so you shoot it and you know ejects the round when you pull back on the bolt. It's a very simplistic thing. It's not a pistol. You get away from a lot of different laws and different things like that. Um, uh, so, I mean, that's, that's definitely limited. What I normally carry with me is a 45, 911 of some sort. Um, that's, that's normally what I have on me. Plus I'll have my Ruger Mark 322, which is my dispatch pistol. If I'm road trapping, um, I may not have the 45 all the time, but I definitely have the 22 and I'm pretty strategic with that thing. I've shot it so many times. So even though it's a 22, it's pretty deadly. But having one is pretty smart and, and, and depends on where you're at, what you're doing and different things like that. And a lot of people don't realize what's going on around them until they get in a really bad situation that they wish they would have been more prepared than they were. Now, I have, I have been trapping beaver and been around, uh, get caught up in the middle because I'm not a marijuana person. I don't recognize marijuana plants that much except before I'd like to cut them down because that'd be really cool biomass for my compost pile which is partly why I can notice it more now because it looks like a really cool thing to put in the compost pile. But it's not something since I've ever really grown up with around a lot of people that smoked it that I know of or been around the plants, it's not something I recognize. But I found myself several days into some pretty big marijuana fields that the people that plant them may get a little aggravated with me and their trapping beaver. Now I've never had a problem with marijuana, you know, but if I did, I would be, I would be much better, uh, I'd feel much better about myself if I did have my Kimbrel with me or if I thought that I was getting into a bad situation, I would probably inside of my trapping bag have my AK-47 pistol with a 30 round magazine into it, which is legally a pistol, by the way, if you have a carry conceal permit. Same thing with an AR uh, pistol. Uh, just don't put a front hand grip on it or you're going to jail. But, you know, as long as you, you, you do that, you know, you, you feel a little bit better. Now, I have been in a canoe and came across two different meth labs with the meth heads are actually using canoes to get away from roads and people and prying eyes. And they build these tar shack things. And there again, I'm not around because my world does not evolve around meth heads and drugs. So it's not something I'm very common. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, besides making jokes or something, I'm not that educated on that. That's not my world. But both times I smelt these things way before I saw them. And after you smell one of them when they're cooking, it's kind of a, a it, it, it's a bad odor. I mean, I can't imagine someone puts that in your body. But it's a bad odor, and out of curiosity, I went to this kind of, I pulled the canoe over, and I kind of like cautiously went up the bank, kind of like, you know, what in the world's going on, and then I see this tar shack, and there's several guys there, and they're, from talking with people later, they were cooking meth, and there was, there was I mean, it was a, looked like a pretty big operation to me. Now, in that situation, I would feel really stupid if, if, if they got crazy because they're on meth and they're cooking meth and all I've got in my canoe with me at the time is a, a, you know the end of an axe handle to dispatch muskrats or something. I mean I would feel the last thing going through my mind at that time would be how stupid could I be or how foolish do I feel right now looking down the barrel of a gun I'm holding the end of an axe handle. I mean it, it just doesn't make sense. The world 
is very different now than it was, or at least that I think it was when I was a kid. Because we used to roam everywhere, and it didn't seem like there was very many dangers besides, you know, around Columbus, Georgia, getting bit by an alligator, water moccasin, or having a bunch of hornets or something to, you know, light you up. That would seem to be about the worst, or a rabid dog or something. You know, but going out in the boonies, you, you find yourself in weird situations. Uh, if you go back and listen to the show with Jeff, it, I, it probably was a good thing he might not have had a gun with him when that happened. Or it might have it might have been good if he did, but he didn't pull it. You know, when they pulled guns on him because there were so many more of them. But there there's the, the thing about carrying a defensive weapon is it's it is smart to do for the simple reason it gives you options. And if you don't have those options, your only option at that time is to be a victim. And I refuse to be a victim. So if something bad's going to happen to me, and if I come, if I was like this year, I'm going to be floating in a canoe uh, trapping again. If if I were to get in in one of those weird situations or be out in the middle of a swamp and somebody's out there, and I mean, heck, I don't know what they're doing, but they get they're paranoid on what they're taking, and you know, and things just escalate. You know, at least you know with the way that i carry i've got at least seven and one and seven and one with me at all times and i'm i'm very accurate with the kimber and that will at least give me a chance not to be a victim and just because on your day-to-day basis and you there's depending on where you are you know you think about it in terms of you know, people think about moonshiners and this, that. I'm not sure how realistic that really is like that. But, I mean, with all the drugs today or anything else like that, or you, you all of a sudden you're found out trapping by, like, the, 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 the Animal Rights, the Liberation Army, and they, they find out that you're in an area and they find some of your traps and they, 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 they're waiting on you to beat you to half to death with a baseball bat so they can video it and put it up on YouTube. Before the the before that happens, there's there's you know the Kimber's going to be talking to somebody, but without that option, you're just being a victim. I see. That's not being scared or being bravado or anything else. You know, even a domestic, even a a, a, a cur dog, the 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 bottom of the litter understands that it has the right to defend itself. You know that th- that's the main thing it has the right to defend itself you you put the most cowardly dog in a corner and eventually it's gonna it's gonna try to survive and do something at the same time and it, and you don't want to be that dog in the corner that's trying something at the very end you know you just don't want to be there now saying that you don't want to go to prison to carry a gun if you're in a in a weird state, you know, like there's some, some weird stuff. You can't have hollow points in New Jersey or Maryland or something like that. Basically, the book says if you're going through Massachusetts, you're better off to throw your gun in the side of the ditch and hopefully it's still there when you get back when you come through because of their gun laws, stuff like that. If you're in that situation, I mean, it's it's it, on a day to day basis. Is it worth you taking a chance on being a fe- a felony and going to prison for? I mean, that's just something you're going to have to make your your mind up on yourself. But carrying a gun out in the woods, I don't know why anybody wouldn't. Uh, when I was in uh, down in Phoenix City, in Columbus, Georgia, I do remember in high school, I was me and some buddies were out playing army. 
with uh and you know with bb guns which if you're younger do not do what i'm telling you to do but it was different times back then we had goggles on and uh, heavy you know heavy jackets and blue jeans and it was like paintball with no paints but with bb guns and for some reason i'll never forget we're, we're out there and i mean like we're going through the swamp up to our neck you know we're, we're being ramboed out to the max having a good time as being kids and there was two dogs that were either had rabies or they were starving to death or they were doing something and all those times that i've been out in the woods growing up that was a very bad situation that luckily nobody got bit but if one of those dogs would have got one of us kids down they'd have killed it. now as a grown man carrying something else you had a better way to defend yourself so if you're thinking well there's no drugs around me you know you get a dog with rabies or something like it's just smart i mean it absolutely is just smart in my opinion to carry again plus it's your second amendment right so that, that's enough reason for it right there and and another um you know one of the reasons not the main reasons guys but one of the good reasons i always want to carry a gun when you're out is because you know it's going to piss a progressive off you know and then that's worth it really all of to itself to be honest with you so that's going to be the end of the show and, re and remember when you're out doing anything whether it's looking for bigfoot are not trying to get in a trick question if you have you kissed your sister lately you know and you're thinking about your trapping or your vertical drowning rods or whatever it is you're doing think of that old guy albert einstein to see you've got to be able to see the invisible to do the impossible so that's what you need to start doing is seeing the invisible because you have the capability i promise you if you're listening to this to do some stuff that seems impossible